Hey everybody, George Robson here, Worship Arts Pastor at Ocean Grove Online Church. Welcome to another one of our podcasts. I want to encourage you to stay with us for this week's scripture reading and message. Good morning. We are definitely going to be learning about a man who chose to trust and obey. This morning, we are going to be in the book of Nehemiah, and I want to give you just a little bit of background before we jump in. The time frame is about 445 BC, and that is about 141 years after the destruction of Jerusalem during the Babylonian captivity. And Nehemiah is currently cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. So as cupbearer, he is truly the king's trusted advisor. The king is trusting him with his life. He's the guy that has to drink the wine and die if it's poisoned, right? So it is a huge honor and responsibility to be cupbearer to the king. And But we want to jump to Nehemiah to give a little background to where we're going to be today. In chapter 1 of Nehemiah, it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, so a quick little background to that. In the Jewish tradition, the month of Kislev is a month for rekindling dreams, which we're going to learn God has given Nehemiah a God-sized dream. It's the 20th year while I, Nehemiah, am in Susa, the capital. One of my brothers, Han and I, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews that had survived, who had escaped the captivity, and how was Jerusalem? They replied, the survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. And Nehemiah continues praying, and in fact, he prays for four months. And before we move on, I want us to know this is important. So he learns about Jerusalem. He learns how his people are, and his people, it says, are troubled and shamed. It's not a good place to be, right? And so immediately he responds to that with prayer. And In his prayer, he starts by calling on God and who God is. He says, God, you're great. You're awesome. You keep covenant. So we serve a promise-keeping God. And he also claims his steadfast love, right? God's love can't leave us. And then, as I said, he continues to pray for four months. Now, I'm a doer. I sometimes forget that prayer is doing something. In fact, it's one of the most powerful things that we can do. But I like my doing to have movement to it. So this was God reminding me, like, hey, Shanna, sometimes you just got to pray, right? 
So four months have gone by, and one of the days that Nehemiah is hanging out with King Artaxerxes, he must not have masked how he was feeling, and the king's like, hey, what's up? Like, I've never seen you look like this. And Nehemiah tells him, he tells him about his people, and he tells him about the state of Jerusalem. And the king responds, this is in chapter 2, what do you request? And I love it. Literally, the next words are, So I prayed to the God of heaven. I don't know if he like went away and prayed or if it was one of those situations where in his head he was like, okay, God, so I'm being asked, like, what do I, what do you want? Do I say it now? You know, it's like one of those Esther moments. This is the king. What does he tell the king? And so he prays that prayer immediately. That's his first response when he doesn't know what to do. And he tells the king, he's like, hey, I want, I really believe that I am supposed to go help my people fix the wall. And the king gives him permission to do so. So the king's cupbearer, Nehemiah, now becomes a governor and leader of his people. And we're going to actually camp out mostly in Nehemiah chapter 4. This is, they've begun building and will, he has rallied literally everybody in the area to help build this wall. And we know that unfortunately, when God calls us to do something, sometimes there is opposition to that. So let's read in Nehemiah chapter four and see what happens. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, He was angry and greatly enraged, and he mocked the Jews. He said in the presence of his associates and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore things? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, That stone wall they are building? Any fox going up on it would break it down. Nehemiah responds, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their taunt back on their own heads and give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt and do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have hurled insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind, and some translations say a heart, to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they were very, very angry and all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So what struck me in Nehemiah chapter 4, and this I've been studying this book with a group of women, um, friends of mine. What struck me was the questions that Sanballat used to mock them. And that's where we're going to camp mostly this morning. We're going to walk through this section that I just read. So here they are, Nehemiah has gathered everybody, and 
there's jealousy, right? Land was important back then. Nobody wanted, the surrounding people didn't want Jerusalem rebuilt. So they come at him and they mock them. And Sanballat's first mock is, what are these feeble Jews doing? So he attacks their identity and he questions their strength, right? And I'm sure that every single one of us has had a time where we've felt attacked, either with our identity or our strength, right? Anyone want to raise your hand? Have you been there? Have that happen? Right. But the beautiful thing is, we can counter that by asking ourselves, who does God say we are, right? And who are we to God? Can you shout out from where you are? Who does God say we are? His child, beloved. Anything else? His people, chosen, right? Redeemed, amen? And the beautiful thing is, we don't ever have to do anything on our own strength. It's always God's strength. And there are 50,000 verses throughout scripture that remind us that with God's strength, all things are possible. He's the one doing the task. He called Nehemiah and them to do it. He's going to give them the strength that they need. So they're clearly ignoring Sam Bowden. He has another question for them. Will they restore things? So now he's questioning their ability and their skill. And again, the answer is no. They're not going to do it. God's doing it through them. And the cool thing is, in the previous chapter, it literally tells you that every single person, sons, daughters, metal workers, goldsmiths, everyone gathered to the task of rebuilding this wall. And had I been there, I for sure would not have had the skill or ability. I don't know the first thing about building a wall, but that's the beauty of it. When it's a God dream, he's going to... He'll do all the things and be in all the details for his dream to come true. So another thing, though, before we go on is this is actually an important question to ask ourselves. Not in a mocking way, but there's no age at which we're too old for God to restore something in our lives. So what is it that we need God to restore? They needed God to restore Jerusalem, to rebuild the wall. But I know that each one of us, we still have things for God to restore in our life. Anyway, Sam Ballot keeps going. Will they sacrifice? So now he's questioning their belief. And Althea read for us this morning, or earlier, rather, not too long ago, in Psalms chapter 51, God says, or not God, sorry, David, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, whole burnt offerings, and bulls will be offered on your altar. So the truth is, 
Are they going to sacrifice? Yes. When God calls them to do something, when he calls us to do something, it often requires sacrifice. But as we read in this psalm, and as it says in other parts of scripture too, God doesn't want us to just go through the motions of sacrificing. He wants our hearts and minds to be a part of that too. And as we already read, it says, so they had a heart and mind to do the work. God wants love and obedience out of hearts flowing with gratitude. Notice that part began first with praise before it even talked about sacrifice. So anyways, Sam Ballot's not done, okay? I'm sure we can all think of somebody who's egged us on before. His next question is, will they finish it in a day? So now he's mocking them and the time, questioning, do you really have the time to do this? And that's the question that hit me the most. I just very recently did what was called Artists Rise Up, and it was a five-day challenge led by a guy named Matt Tommy. And one of his teachings was the excuses that we use to not do God's work. He said we can use the excuse of fear, lack of money, lack of time, lack of skill, or we do not understand God's kingdom. And his challenge to us was, of those five things, which one is it that most keeps you from doing what God wants you to do? And I chose time, and I I find it. You could do anything in response to it. I made myself a visual to stick up in my office, and I said, I'm breaking up with time. Because in Revelations 1.8, it tells us, God holds the beginning and end in his hands. He is the Alpha and Omega. So if God has called us to do something, he's going to give us the time to do it. So the answer is, will they finish it in a day? No, but are they going to finish it? Yes. God has called them to it. So he keeps going. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that. So now he's trying to say, look around. Do you see what you're working with? These are no longer even whole stones, and you're going to rebuild a wall with this? He's questioning the sheer possibility of this rebuilding. But we know, Philippians 4.13 and many other verses tell us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So again, none of this is because of them. All of it is because of God. They are just being God's willing servants. And I love this. This is like, you know, you can just picture this like on a playground type situation. Tobiah, so Sam Ballot's friend, he adds, a fox could break it. And I don't know if you guys have seen the foxes here in Ocean Grove, but had I not seen them, I don't think I would have realized how deep a jab this is. Foxes are actually really tiny and limber. And so to say that a fox could break a stone wall is really belittling their work and their ability. 
because, well, again, if you've seen a fox in real life, that seems pretty impossible. And so uh, the beautiful thing here is we already saw Nehemiah heard about the situation and he prayed. He prayed for four months. Then he's doing it. He's doing the rebuilding. He's getting mocked. And his first response is prayer again. It says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their taunts back on their own heads and give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt. Do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have hurled insults in the face of the builders. Now, this prayer, when I first read it, struck me as pretty intense. And I want to read actually what the Bible study that I was doing said about it. So Nehemiah wants the Lord to act on his behalf. And this prayer is pretty bold. And in fact, it kind of sounds like a prayer for revenge. But if you look at it closely, Nehemiah actually isn't praying for revenge. He's praying for justice. He's not praying for them, for what they had done to be, for God to get back at them. But he's simply praying for God to be faithful He's not praying for his own glory, but for the glory of the name of God. Nehemiah understood that with Sambal and Tobiah mocking them, they were also mocking and questioning the very nature of God and who God is. And we know, and they knew, that we serve a God who is just, who is holy and righteous and true. And so by praying, Nehemiah placed the situation in God's hands. And I love it. The next verse says, and we rebuilt the wall. They got back to work. They did not allow Sambal and Tobiah to distract them from the work that God had called them to do. And I wish I could say to each one of you, hey, if God calls you to do something, it's going to be easy. Exactly. Who laughed? (laughs) It's not easy, unfortunately. But it's worth it, right? Because it's always for God's glory and God's good. And so we see here, they got back to work. But then check this out. Now it's like a whole crew comes at them. Samballot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites. They all heard about the repairing of Jerusalem. And they were very angry. They plotted to come together and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So they gathered more people to come at the Jews. And what's it say again? Verse 9, so we prayed to our God. Nehemiah's first response, we've now seen three times, is prayer. And that's because he knew that it's prayer that gives us the strength and the courage to continue on the actions that God has called us to do. It's prayer that fuels our faith and it's prayer, this is my favorite part, that suffocates our fear. They have the surrounding armies now against them. It could get ugly. So they take it to God in prayer to give them, for God to give them his strength to do what they need and to suffocate their fear. And so if we look back, 
the cool part about this that God showed me is the verbs and the questions that Sam Ballot asks. He talks about, will they restore? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish? Will they revive? And the answer is, you better believe they will because they serve the God. We serve the God who restores who gave us the ultimate sacrifice of our son, of his son, Jesus Christ. We serve the God who finishes what he starts. He revives. They completed that wall in 52 days. Amen? So I would just like to leave us all with the question, going back to what Sam Ballot asked, what is it that you need restored in your life. Ask that of God and then trust him. Trust him to restore it. Yes, it will probably take sacrifice from you. But again, if God calls you to it, he'll finish it. Because he is the God who revives even burnt rubble stones. He's the God who rebuilds. Amen? We really appreciate you staying with us this time around. Remember, you can always search out other podcasts from OGC by looking up Ocean Grove Church or type in oceangrovechurch.com slash podcast question mark format equals RSS in your player of choice. And if you'd like other ways to stay up to date on all things Ocean Grove Church, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Ocean Grove Church, on Twitter as OG Church, and don't forget our website, OceanGroveChurch.com. And you can contact us via email at OceanGroveChurch at gmail.com. Until next time, we bid you peace.